Thank you. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, beginning in verse 34. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And, and when was it that we saw you and a as a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And, and when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them. Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, and for the word of God within us, let us say, thanks be to God. I remember where I was. Do you? I was in the car on my way to Harwood Junior High as an eighth grader. Yes, I know, I know. And my dad was listening to morning news radio, and they were saying something about a plane hitting the World Trade Center, this building I'd heard of, but wasn't even sure I'd seen before. I remember walking into school that day with confusion and questions, and there was this buzz in the air about, have you heard, have you heard, have you heard? I went to homeroom to start that day, and the teacher had the TV on. We were seeing the smoke billow out of the first tower. I remember seeing and hearing the shock in the room when the second plane hit, the teacher screaming, turning off the TV as quick as she could, but we'd already seen. I remember the look of terror in my friend Nathan's eyes as he wondered if his uncle had gone into work at the Pentagon that day. I remember the teacher telling us that we were allowed to have our cell phones out. Some of our friends had cell phones. I did not have a cell phone yet. Because parents would be calling us because my junior high was so close to DFW Airport that they were going to let us go home for the day if our parents wanted us to. And slowly but surely, several folks were getting calls throughout the morning. I remember most of all sitting in my algebra class. We were supposed to be learning about integers or something that day. What I remember is when my friend Rhiannon's cell phone began to ring. And she stepped out into the hallway. She was out there for a few minutes, and then she came back in, and we didn't even have to wonder if she'd been crying because she still was. Her eyes were red and puffy and tears falling down her face. She could barely catch her breath, and we thought, oh, no. I said, Rhiannon, is, is your family okay? Is everybody okay? And she said, yeah, no, everybody's, everybody's fine. That was my dad. You see, Rhiannon's dad uh, is Palestinian. 
I knew this because she wore a necklace around her neck with a, a crescent moon and a star on it, and I'd asked her about that necklace one day in class, and she told me how her father was Palestinian and her mother was a Caucasian-American, and her, and her dad's Muslim, she said. He practiced the faith of Islam. It's the first time I'd met someone who was Muslim. Rhiannon was my first Muslim friend. She came into the classroom, eyes wet with tears, and she said, that was my dad. And he told us that the people in the planes that hijacked the planes, that crashed into those towers and into the Pentagon, they were Muslim. And that means that everyone's going to hate us now. Have you ever seen the eyes of someone who grew up like that? Have you ever been in a room full of eighth graders who all grew up just like that? If you've been there for a friend who's wondering if the community that had surrounded her and her family for so many years and held them with hands of care would continue to do so, or would they see her and would they feel something different? That's something I will never forget. of us who experienced the tragedies of that day have similar stories. Where were you? And the musical Come From Away was created to share many of those stories. What Come From Away does so well, the creators crafted these stories from different perspectives of different people. What occurred on Gander was incredible. But while all of that was happening, individuals who were stranded on Gander we're also dealing with things in their own lives, how, how their lives had just blown apart, worried about people near the World Trade Center, dealing with their own fears of what, going, what was going on. And even as horrific as that tragedy was, we don't know what else might have been going on in someone else's life. We don't know how someone experiences these things, how those experiences might impact how they view and respond to and remember specific events. That's why John Wesley, who's the known father of Methodism, was insistent that we don't just rely on scripture and reason and tradition, the so-called three-legged stool, to form our theology. Wesley shared that we can't divorce ourselves from our experiences. We learn about God and how we relate to God through those experiences. And we, when we put them all together with reason and tradition and Scripture, we look to Scripture and we can craft our own personal understanding of God. That's why Bible on Broadway is so special. We understand the stories and songs from musicals, asking questions about where God is in those stories and songs, and then finding answers that help us grow spiritually with God and with our community. And so today, what I want to do is share three different perspectives, three different points about Come From Away. And the first is from the townspeople known as the Islanders. They showed this radical hospitality. You saw it on the screen. You heard it in the introduction. And they insisted that no one was a stranger. The travelers, 
who the islanders call come from aways. I'm going down to the airport to pick up a come from away. The, the travelers, the come from aways, were hungry and scared, needed a place to sleep and shower. They needed working cell phones to call their family and friends. They needed medicine. The islanders understood the message from the prophet Isaiah when he shared God's expectations about helping others from Isaiah 58, 6 and 7. This is the kind of fast day I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your families. You know, that word hospitality, it, it, it gets manipulated a little bit these days. We, we understand it a different way. We understand it as this image of hotels and resorts and events planned in elaborate detail. Hospitality is an industry, a profit-making industry. But that is certainly not how the people of Gander saw it. When those jets landed on their island, everyone worked together in some way. Kitchen stoves were working 24-7 in homes to provide food for about 7,000 people. Extra bedrooms were offered to strangers. Islanders quickly became unpaid and effectively Uber and Lyft drivers shuttling visitors to and fro. The islanders were turning what we heard in Isaiah's prophetic voice into experiences for those in need. See, in this chapter of Isaiah, the main purpose is to distinguish true holiness, that which God supports, from false practices. So when Isaiah writes of the fast I choose, that's proposing this coherent model of behavior for people who are searching for God. Fasting at that time, at the time of this writing, was a common practice, and it's even, even common today, foregoing something like food to reflect and contemplate on our own relationship with God. That's an acceptable spiritual practice. Fasting isn't wrong, per se, but what, what was happening with this fasting, Isaiah tells us, is that the symbolic act was doing nothing to alleviate suffering in the world. People were living in poverty. People were hungry. People were oppressed. So God makes it clear through Isaiah. Between the practice of fasting and the practice of social justice, God chooses the latter. And this fundamental choice we are called to make is clear. There is no holiness in fasting while there is no social holiness in loving our neighbor without the necessary and accompanying concern for the oppressed and the hungry. Isaiah doesn't tell us to recite confessions of faith, to lock ourselves away and praise God individually. Isaiah shares the fact that God chooses this, to break the chains of injustice and free the oppressed, which happened on Gander. As travelers bonded with each other, despite the initial fear they had amongst the differences that they had, 
Thinking that some might be terrorists, they paused when conversations became confrontational and shared stories of experiences and then learned from those. Isaiah shares the fast that God chooses by saying, sharing food with the hungry and inviting the homeless into your homes and putting clothes onto the shivering ill clad. A beautiful, beautiful definition of hospitality for the people of Gander. And finally, being available to your own family. The very definition of family expanded in Gander that day. There was not a stranger. Everyone was welcome. Everyone participated, no matter their race, their nationality, their gender, their religion, their sexual orientation, or their occupation. All meant all. And as all joined in to serve, there's this shift in the individuals. When we find ourselves in a position to help others, to bring about radical hospitality and carry out the fast that God chooses, well, you know, it transforms us. Identifying and seeking to practice the call from God in our own lives, it removes these barriers and frees us up to live a full life. Well, that's the next perspective from this musical. Beverly Bass is one of the pilots who lands an American Airlines jet plane on Gander's runway. She tells her story in the song, Me and the Sky, which Jenny brilliantly sang previously. See, she wanted to be a pilot since she was eight years old and begged her parents and often went to the airport to watch the planes take off and land. There were problems with becoming a pilot for Beverly, though, not the least of which was there were no female pilots. And she was too short. And she was too young. But as we've all experienced in some way, times change, and with that change brings freedom for us to be our true selves. And with that, we gain this glorious, joyful perspective of how God is at work in everything. Work that brings out passion and uniqueness in each of us. So for Beverly, she waited through jobs, flying for a mortician and waiting in line until most of the World War II pilots had retired and had a wonderful life as a pilot, the first female pilot of American Airlines, flying all over the world, married with children, and eventually training pilots for American as she continues to fly. It's her gift from the Spirit, this teaching and helping others. And you know what? You heard it in the song, she knows it. She knows that this calling makes her feel more alive. And that's why she sings, and suddenly the wheels lift off. The ground is falling backward, and suddenly I'm alive. Suddenly there's nothing between me and the sky. Beverly can finally make her own way, follow her passion. And sure, she's going to need help from others. Bit by bit, she removes those barriers, and then she's found that feeling. And continuing to follow that calling leads her to some pretty awesome places and experiences. Nothing is between her and the sky. Which is the theological point I want to make here. When there's nothing between you and God, you become free to lead the life that God has called you to live. Sure, there are obstacles. 
obstacles that other, others put in front of us and obstacles, heck, that we put in front of ourselves. Some of those obstacles are systemic, as if they have a life of their own and that they won't ever change. And some of those obstacles happen when we take our eye off the ball and make mistakes that just really, really hurt as we find ways to pull ourselves out of the muck. And some of those obstacles just happen, happen for no reason, or at least for reasons that we can't explain or understand. But what I know is this. God is not on the other side of the obstacles. God is right in the middle of the obstacles with us, crying with us and hearing our screams as we struggle, offering hope when things seem hopeless. But goodness, when we get through those obstacles with God at our side or when others work to remove those obstacles on our behalf, oh my. Beverly felt it, pure joy, joy of knowing that she is fulfilling a call and living a passion. The people of Gander felt it, making a difference in the lives of thousands of people, calming their fears, providing food and housing and clothes, and yes, hope for those travelers. This hospitality was their collective call. It was their collective call, and living into it allowed them to claim this identity as a community. When there's nothing between you and God, you become free to live the life that God has called you to live. And you know what happens then, right? When you realize what your call is in a particular situation or a season in your life, well, you want to share it with others. Just like the people of Gander, so we shift now to this third perspective, to our final come-from-away perspective that is found in Kevin Turf. Kevin's an ex advertising executive flying home to Austin from Paris, France, and he gets stranded on Gander. He wrote a book about those experiences titled Channel of Your Peace. And in it, he shares the prayer of St. Francis that starts, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Show me the way. Tell me what is to come of this tragic but wonderful experience that I had in Gander. And he also references another scripture that might be familiar to you from Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 3. And this is from the message paraphrase. Stay on good terms with each other. Held together by love. Be ready with a meal or a bed when it's needed. Why some have extended hospitality to angels without ever knowing it. Regard prisoners as if you were in prison with them. Look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them had happened to you. Kevin shares in his story, some of it in the musical, some of it in the book. He's the CEO of a public relations company in Austin, Texas. Don't meth with Texas? That's Kevin. It's a company of about 40 employees, and part of Kevin's story explains how the events of 9-11 changed his whole life, brought it into perspective, and how the love that was shown from the come-from-a-ways by the islanders could be shared well beyond the days of the incident where they were stranded in Gander. Stay on good terms with each other. 
held together by love. See, when we take that lesson of the first perspective that God chooses the actions of social justice and combine them with the lessons of the second perspective, that nothing stands between you and God and it's freeing, then we land right on top of the lesson that we learned from Kevin. That is, it's not just about what happened on that day or in that location. It's also about how we can spread love and hope to others using the experiences that we've had. See, we don't read Scripture about doing deeds of the Spirit. We read Scripture about the fruits of the Spirit, what comes out of this. How are we to respond and what fruits come from it? About being on good terms with each other, holding each other together in love, taking what we've learned and experienced and sharing it with our community. That's what Kevin did. When he returned from Gander to Austin, he wanted to find others and allow them to try to experience what he experienced, to feel that same love, the same willingness to help, the same hope that he had on Gander. And the idea he came up with, he borrowed from a book and a movie, Pay It Forward. On the first anniversary of 9-11, September 11th, 2001, Kevin called all of the employees together from the company, all 40 of them, into the conference room, which must have been a really big conference room, paired one with each other, and created 20 pairs. And to each pair, the company gave $100 with simple instructions. Use the money to perform random acts of kindness for others and tell the story of how people in Gander shared love with strangers in the midst. Share the money, share the story. It's that one-on-one -on -one connection that Kevin was trying to replicate because he himself had experienced this magical connection of love that came when a teenager from Gander handed him his air mattress and pillow that first night when they were stranded. So the employees responded and went to a hospital and purchased nursery supplies for new mothers who had just had babies who had no other means to purchase them. They gave money to the owner of a breakfast diner and said, pay for the next breakfast as long as this money will last. Another paid for someone who had a flat tire on their way into work that day by buying and bought a new, a new tire for the car. All of this outpouring of love learned from the islanders in Gander passing it on to others. It's an experience that we can all feel. The mayor of Gander at the time was Claude Elliott, who shared something that matches much of our theology here. He said, we only did the thing we know how to do, which was to comfort them, to console them, and to show them some love. And I'm so thankful and grateful that this community we call Arapaho knows how to be islanders. It's made up of people who embody that same lifestyle, feeding and clothing and advocating for social justice, encouraging each other in love and sharing spiritual gifts that benefit others in this community and out, and paying it forward, letting nothing Nothing stand between us and God. May it ever be so. Amen.